Welcome to Procurement Reimagined, a podcast by Gatekeeper. We believe traditional procurement has had its day, the world is changing, and our industry needs to change with it. On the podcast, we share the best practices to help you streamline your procurement processes, navigate vendor onboarding, and ultimately get the most value out of your vendor contracts. I'm your host, Daniel Barnes. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Procurement Reimagined. We have something a little different for you today. We'll be bringing together a collection of the best insights from our previous episodes, taking a look at how our guests would reimagine procurement to unleash accelerated value at their organizations. Let's dive in. Up first is Nadia Stoikov. She is the Chief Procurement and Supply Chain Officer at Tesca Group, a global company that makes automotive fabrics and seat components. Nadia brings over 30 years of leadership experience in procurement at global enterprises like Dow and Valspar. Let's listen as she talks about the digitalization of procurement and why it is incomplete without a robust human interface. She also talks about the importance of hiring talent with the required skill set for a successful procurement lifecycle. I'll talk about some of these subjects and uh, I'll get a wealth of people in procurement who just don't get it. <laughs> That's my feedback. They'll say, no, no, cost it is fundamentally everything we need to focus on. To your point, you're talking about you know, supply relationship management, customer of choice just now, and those things are impossible to achieve if you solely focus on the cost aspect. And then what I found really interesting was your commentary there on the people side and with the inevitable discussions around going digital in procurement, if we don't have the right people in place with the right capabilities, we're not going to be able to do anything and we're never going to be taken seriously within the organization. And I think that's fundamentally what you're saying is that procurement has a big problem right now in that it doesn't have the right people in place. And what I was thinking about when you were talking is, say I'm an engineer or say I'm a salesperson, is procurement an attractive destination for me? And the reason I'm asking that, it, my current thoughts are not necessarily, but I'd be really keen to hear your thoughts there. Well, I mean, it can be but it depends on the leader who's leading the function, okay? If the leader who's leading the function comes from the old school, doesn't matter how old the leader is, because I've seen a lot of young leaders coming from the old school. It's not an age thing, right? Yes, it's not an age thing. I say this as well. It's an attitude almost, a a cultural way of working. Age is irrelevant. Exactly. It's a cultural way of working. So please remember that, like plants, people grow in the right environment, okay? So if they're both, doesn't have the vision, doesn't have the strategy, doesn't realize the importance of people, doesn't realize where you cannot replace the human touch because I'm not at all afraid of digitalization because digitalization comes after the fact. After the fact that you found a supplier, developed the relationship, have the contract in place or the agreement, whatever, because in many cases there are no written contracts nowadays, but you get the relationship and then Digitalization should help disseminate this information throughout the rest of the organization so it can be implemented with the right parameters and as well create the right purchase orders, the right requisitions, and so on, and goes till the end of the process. Okay, This could be all digitalized. You don't really need much of a human touch because technology nowadays have developed ways to do that and artificial intelligence could beautifully help you there. But this first part, this is nothing that can be digitalized, at least till we have super intelligent robots. Yeah, maybe one day, I don't know if we're going to be alive to see it, but it doesn't really matter because 
you know, you're asking me, is it really attractive place to be? And maybe this is the problem with the talent shortage in procurement in the middle levels, okay, is that they get disappointed by how insignificant and stressful their job is. And actually, it should be absolutely the other way around. It should be really interesting, creative, and they should be empowered to try to do their best and reach their peaks as people. Of course, I mean, you could not have somebody super introvert engineer who has been in R&D working with a small team of common-minded people and talking uh, techie with them to face the world and be a star in procurement. You need as well certain predisposition of character, like for sales. You know, to not have a guy who is shy to just pick up the phone and talk to someone or has a difficult situation, a conflict resolution, which happens all the time, and decide how to resolve it in a mutually beneficial way. So there are certain personal predispositions. But, and you know, the problem is that if somebody is great in R&D, he knows the product, he developed the product, let's put him in procurement. Okay, but everybody could advise you on the product. I actually don't really need to have all the specifications of the product and know it because the salesperson in front of me wouldn't know that either. Okay, their R&D guys can know it. And then we can bring our R&D right hands and they can talk the details. But the commercial part is what matters. The commercial part is what matters at the end. And then until it's realized in a company that sales and procurement are two sides of the same coin, nothing is going to change, you know, because procurement needs to be seen as enabler of growth. And it is an enabler of growth. Because if you can run very optimized, lean and mean operations, and a huge part of your cost is actually procurement cost, procurement managed cost, okay? Then you really can touch the bottom line very significantly with the decisions you make in procurement. And that is critical. That is critical for your competitiveness because then you can play with a good margin but low price and beat the competition. While the other way around, you're just eating up your margin. That's what you can do if you're on the commercial side. And I have to say, I'm grateful that in my career, I have been on both sides of the coin. And I have been as well in supply chain. And the more holistic view you have on how the business is run, the better you can perform in both functions, in sales as well. If you know how procurement works in sales, you can make miracles. That's another thing, you know. I mean, you can look at the other way around. And that's why often in the organizations of being we have had many interactions between sales and procurement to learn from each other. And we have played role changes and so on in difficult situations. And it's not only fun, you learn a lot. And each one of them realizes, okay, that's what I need to look for in the other side. And it doesn't matter who the individual is, actually, because they may change, like in your company. But the principle of how to prepare for a good negotiation is to know as much as possible about your counterpart, the company. There is a lot of public information these days, so it's not impossible. And get prepared on what you want to achieve and what is your really best case scenario of walking out of this, provided that there is no way that you can win at all. It's not a zero-sum game. You have to consider that the other part needs to get something as well. 
Otherwise, it's not going to happen in a permanent and positive way. Up next, we hear from Andra Fola, CEO and co-founder of Solutionary Minds, a human-centric personalized learning solution for procurement talent. Andra has over 15 years of procurement exposure and has held procurement leadership roles at companies like Amazon and Vodafone. She shares her insights on the importance of mentoring without micromanaging and the value of open communication with your teams instead of simply saying no. So how do we reimagine procurement during a recession period? I think it's valuable learning going through one. I know we can do it. So I have that inner belief that it's not something that is destroying you, but rather, especially for procurement, can create opportunities to grow. What I found works is in tough times, you are overwhelmed by a multitude of projects. So everybody suddenly has budget challenges, investment stops, reshuffling strategy. Things become very unclear. You don't know anymore what's very important. So this bubble, and we are in the middle of it because everything that a company invests goes through uh, procurement, right? And everything is reconsidered, it's on the table. What helps is to really ruthlessly prioritize because it's so much noise. Everybody in the organization, all the functions, being technology, sales, marketing, you name it, HR, they put pressure on procurement to solve a problem, right? So I think prioritizing and the way I, I always prioritize is on impact, that's and ruthless. So I learned to say no in those times. I learned also not to optimize for everything. So in procurement, traditionally, you have an evaluation matrix. So you look at a lot of dimensions. It can be cash, it can be TCO, it can be return of investment, quality, pricing, you name it, right? When you have these complex evaluation processes, it becomes very easily distracted on what's important. And neither your partners, the suppliers that pass through the same problem in their organization are open to optimize with you for everything. So then it's important to clarify and sign off with a stakeholder what's important in that deal. Is it cash? Is it availability of supply? Is it me first? <laughs> what? what is going to make or break that deal for the company. So again, prioritizing on projects and prioritizing on what's important and not everything for everybody. So that I would say from a work perspective, right? So how do you manage your projects? Now, from a personal perspective, you can very quickly burn out and you can very quickly be even more in the shadows. So it's important to have a stakeholder that you engage and becomes your sponsor. So talks on your behalf and makes things happen, right? So that's another dimension that works very well to have somebody in the organization high enough to influence that you can go and make these hard choices happen because otherwise you're in a fight with no support. So that's from a stakeholder engagement perspective. And then from a management perspective, I was very lucky. I had a manager back in 2008 that didn't stand in my way. No time for micromanagement, no time to question everything. Just gave me the trust and space to run with my projects and then use him, he was a man, with as a 
sounding boards, right? So I went when I had a challenge and I needed something to calibrate or get another opinion or something to move. So that worked very well. I think if you have also a controlling manager or on top of everything that's happening, it's impossible to cruise. So that would be my advice for managers is don't micromanage, just make room for your people. That's what I always advise, especially in these times. Let's welcome Sarah Kay, Vice President of Procurement at SPIN, the Ryden Park provider. Sarah has over 11 years of experience in leadership roles within the procurement vertical across both small startups and large global corporations. Let's join her as she shares her insights on the difference between cost control and cost cutting and why you need both and why you need a robust ERP system that consolidates, cleans and analyzes your data. So is the ideal situation to have cost control over cost cutting in your business? I think it's more of a process. So cost control is more of the start and how you should begin the journey. And cost reduction is more like ongoing little by little maintenance, right? Mm, Yeah, for sure. And based on your entire experience in this field, why is it essential that we look at cost control first and foremost as this sort of proactive standpoint here? So I think we should be looking at cost control proactively because it's very much how you can get to the root of some very large opportunities to impact the business. Being involved at the budget planning stage really gives you that ability to understand where the heavy hitter costs are so that you can start to really get creative, bring in providers that you've met along the way that are experts in the area to support. I just think that if you're not engaged in the budget planning stage and in the cost control as to planning your operating costs, and you're only focusing on renegotiating, you know, whatever contract policy threshold it is, whether it's $100,000 <laughs> or whatever it is or more, you're just missing opportunities. Yeah, I think this um, will ring a lot of truce with a lot of procurement professionals because people always talk about this idea of early engagement. And normally when they talk about early engagement, people are coming at it from the point of like, I just want to know when you're thinking about going out to market to to find providers. What you're talking about here with cost control, we're way before that point, right? We're in the depths of planning before we even consider who we're going to go out to go talk to, right? Like this is really early doors with the entire business being involved. Right. This is at the corporate planning side, right? So this is when your entire business is planning how to operate and, you know, what is essential to the foundation of the business. And I mean, truly, that is where you get the most opportunities for things to not be missed. So for example, if it's supporting recruitment for peak season, optimizing inventory to eliminate wasted overhead, mitigating excess logistic cost, turning deadweight inventory into working capital, or even you know establishing a best-in-class BPO partnership where you know your company is struggling internally so that you can improve quality, have KPI reporting, reduce costs, and you can even generate revenue. These are reasons it's really crucial to have procurement in the cost control budget planning stages. Next up is Natalia Pilipchak, who is the Transformation and Excellence Director at Mobile Tele Systems, with 16 years of procurement leadership behind her at global enterprises like Philips, Unilever, and Microsoft. She explains how procurement can use the global crisis to trigger a pivot away from constantly measuring savings and why excellence is doing common things in uncommon ways. 
to your point then, we've kind of set out what procurement excellence is, maybe some of the, the issues around porters and the viewpoint that we've got around it. Are there any specific strategies then that we can have to become sort of technologists, to become, I guess, a more leading figure within the business as opposed to a support function? Like, where are the starting points there where teams can be like, hey, we can we can start doing that one thing and we can transform our viewpoint within the business here? Okay. Well, maybe I'll try to describe it step by step, but definitely there are several pillars which we should keep in mind. And I think the first thing, it's I think now it's the right time for the transformation because, look, we had three years at least of the global crisis. And when you're in a global crisis, uh, I think things are moving a little bit faster. And all the previous uh, judgment, previous sacred call, they look not so obvious. And you can start challenge them right now. Based on my example, this year we didn't have the savings target. I think it was the first time in my life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> when I said, okay, guys, look, we can spend a lot of time to calculate savings. And I know that if we compare year to year, there will be no savings. Maybe there will be savings during the bid, during purchasing procedure. Okay, there will be. But uh, let's not waste the time for calculating the savings. Let's invest the resources and the time of people who can do it into the building of real-time analytics, uh, into the process mining and something more intelligent. And maybe we will put in other KPIs, which are all about keeping the management of the cash flow or uh, having enough uh, items on the stock, means the business continuity. And I think it worked because, again, let's think that now is exactly right period of time when you can challenge everything you have done before, particularly with the savings and KPIs, and you should gain certain resources to move your team forward. And later, uh, what's happened? What kind of uh, strategies the company may apply? First, they, as I said, uh, they should be quite loud about the technology upgrade because, you see, there is a lot of startups which can help you to be more competitive in procurements. You can start to deal with other companies, but you need a budget. So if you are a procurement excellence director, I think it's right time to challenge your uh, CEO and UCFO and say, guys, we need to invest into the procurement technologies. If you would like, we to be faster, we are transparent, and we can show you everything in a minute time. So we need to invest into the digital part of procurement. I think it's require a lot of strategies with the leadership of uh, CPO. And uh, I think many CPOs suffer from the fact that they're sitting on the kids' uh, table just next to the adults' table. And I say the big brothers or parents don't look very seriously on this little brother. And I think, again, it's good a time to make changes. And it depends on many things. Uh, technologies, as I already mentioned it. First, I think uh, as a second CPO should uh, change the mindset of his team and his people. And procurement people, they're really wired connected to the savings. They are not very, let's say, experimental. Because if uh, they spend time on experiments, they can make mistakes and uh, they do not achieve savings. Everything is bad. 
But I think that if we have enough room to experiment, to play with our process, to play with our data, I think we as a procurement will be much more uh, successful. And I think the strategy which CPO should drive is the giving enough room for experiments, like in product development, like in every other, let's say, creative and business-oriented function. So again, give enough space for experiments. And I think the third part, if you have enough space for experiments, uh, you should be very consistent in explaining to your team and to your business that there will be no punishment. Because when I start to work with real-time data, I think it was really big resistance, both from the team and from the management, because a team, the big procurement team was quite scared because, well, if you show that we are not excellent in performing our KPIs, we will be fired. We don't want, we lose our bonus, we lose our salary, we lose our security. We don't want to deal with you on this matter. But I said, okay, guys, if not me, who put it into the, on the table. There will be other departments who will do it on behalf of myself. And I think it's much worse. I think we should play the leadership role in showing and understanding who we are and what we are. And the second thing that CPO must bring this, maybe not ideal numbers, but real numbers to the board and to say, guys, just to be more consumer-centric, just to be faster just to be more, uh, let's say, um, efficient or effective, we need certain investments, we need certain support, and we will bring this, this, and this for such investments. I think there's three things, as I said, technologies, entrepreneurial mindset and experiments, and uh, the room uh, to make mistakes, and the leadership, of course. I think there are four strategies that we should apply exactly at this period of time. Our next guest is Rhys Thomas. He is the head of procurement at Grays, a UK-based healthy snacking brand. He describes himself as a motivated and innovative buying manager with over 16 years of buying experience behind him. Rhys believes that procurement excellence needs a system that allows you to identify root causes to solve problems and includes well-defined specs for your analytics stack. Is that the benefit to digitalization in that it allows you to do the value add piece more? I definitely think it's one of the key benefits is it frees up time and it gives you more time to focus on what you should be focusing on. The other benefit I see is very much about having all the information to one location. So yeah, avoiding duplication, avoiding, if you think about when you go through a contract negotiation, having the ability to have all the contracts say in one location and both internal and external parties being able to feed into that prevents all those times where you've seen a contract out, you get back version 2.123, and then half a day later you think you'll be working on this and the supplier's been working on a different contract because oh, it's not. That's, that was my life. I spent a lot of time as a contract manager with him, procurement, and I can't tell you how many contracts I've been negotiating. For the supplier to have sent me back one to review on a Friday, I review it on the Monday, send it back, and they're like, oh, actually, we worked on it over the weekend. We've got a version 3.1. And I'm just like, what? In what world does this make sense? So I'm, yeah, <laughs> completely aligned to that problem. And yeah, like just having everything in one place is so, I think, almost undervalued because procurement are so used to working in like disparate ways of, you know, we might have some stuff in local, we might have stuff in the cloud, might have stuff in SharePoint, 
and we have links from a tracker, which is normally an Excel or Google Sheets out to all of these places. But it's just so tedious to maintain that. And yeah, I think just the freeing up of time and to having everything in, in one place is wonderful. I guess what I want to also ask you is what are some of the pitfalls here though? Because I appreciate that both of us are, and we've discussed the whole digitalization piece over the last couple of months and had some good conversations. We're fans of it. And when you're fans of it, you can see it through uh, rose tinted glasses. But are there any pitfalls that you see about turning procurement digital? I mean, yes. If I look at the industry and look at what's happened around the space, there's more and more systems, more and more offers from a digitalization. And now we're in a position where if you go out and I've been doing some work on systems recently. You go out to market, you can look, okay, who's out there? And you can find 50 options and 50 different people who can do some element of these, uh, of what you're looking for. And you can very quickly end up in a pitfall of that point of, oh, great, these guys do this amazing system, but these guys do something which is slightly bit different, but they offer similar. And if you're not careful, you either over or underspec your system or you end up in a position where you go, okay, I need to use this program for my sourcing element. I need to use this program for my contract management. I need to use this program for my quality management system. And then you go, but how do I then get these things to talk? Let's now hear what Kanda Rosier, president of Calabra Consulting with 25 years of procurement leadership behind her, has to say about the fact that most new and shiny tools won't endure nor provide value and why you first need to find and solve the pain points common to the business and procurement. What do you think's come in our way as a profession? Any challenges, obstacles? I'll leave that quite broad for you there to, to share some thoughts. Well, I think one of the biggest, if not the biggest challenge that we as procurement professionals are going to have, and by the way, I think that business leaders in general are going to have, is what happens with the economy. At least here in the U.S., there are continuing indicators that we're in for a downturn of some sort. And some of the financial analysts are saying it, it may amount to a more properly called recession. That's going to affect us as sourcing professionals because companies will have to do belt tightening. I mean, we've seen this. It's a cyclical thing. We're all used to it. But doing that belt tightening so soon after emerging from the pandemic, I think is going to add some real challenges because at the same time that companies are going to look to tighten their belts and therefore say to procurement, save me more, renegotiate contracts, change supplier payment terms, whatever the reactions of procurement might be. I think companies are also saying, but we've come out of the recession, we want to grow. And, and I think there's going to be an interesting balance or a tug of war, if not a balance, between how does procurement help support companies growing and how do they help them with cost containment and reacting to whatever the downturn might be. Yeah, it's a really interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? We've had enormous pressures over COVID and a lot of challenges, resilience, continuity of supply, those kind of things were paramount. They were extremely challenging to get right. And now, yeah, like we've got this need for growth post-pandemic, but also this incredibly complex economic situation where businesses are going to expect procurement to get back to their foundation and save some money where they can. But at the same time, that need to grow is there. Is that an indicator, Kanda, of 
procurement's role broadening in some ways? Because what I've noticed over the last year or so is more and more conversation around how does procurement contribute more to whether it's value generation or creating income or revenue streams? Is that an indicator there or is that something that you've picked up on? You know, I think procurement's role has broadened. Some of that has been out of necessity. The pandemic certainly pointed out for a lot of companies that procurement was more than just buying things. And I think pre-pandemic, there were, uh, particularly if you look at companies who were more service-oriented, companies less, not manufacturing, procurement was viewed as the department that bought things for us. And during the pandemic, I think procurement's role in looking at supply chain, even for indirect purchasing, became highlighted. The fact that procurement got very involved in things that would have been considered almost ancillary, which was everybody's working from home, companies changed what they need, and they suddenly needed things to support a remote and and work-from-home workforce, and procurement was somehow right in the spotlight for being able to assist with that. And so I think that there was a natural broadening of procurement scope. I think that, as you've said, over the pandemic, companies also started looking for alternative ways to not just cut their costs, but to grow and to add revenue streams. And in a lot of companies, procurement became more involved with that. And then I think if you add into that, there's been even certainly pre-pandemic, an increasing recognition that companies have to put a huge emphasis on risk management, governance, all of the types of things, whether it's cybersecurity or regulatory. And the pandemic brought some new aspects of that, particularly around health and safety and and that sort of thing. And procurement, I think, has begun to find themselves increasingly involved in things like risk and governance, which, by the way, I think is a great transition. It's a great evolution for our, our profession. Up next, we meet Eloise Epstein, a partner at Kearney, one of the leading consultancy firms. Eloise tells us why we're not doing risk management if we have a large supplier base and shares a snapshot view of a framework for doing risk management correctly. What are the biggest issues you have with current tech providers? And I'm asking this as well, being a tech provider in the space, right? Like I I almost feel like we could get shot down. I'm giving you freedom here to shoot everyone down in the space. And you kind of touched on some of them, right? Like just now in that, you know, if we made a company today, they would align better to your vision than companies made probably over the last you know, five to 10 years and especially pre-pandemic. Is there anything else that you think procurement tech, contract management technology, you know, we can go as wide as we want here with that definition. Is there anything that they're getting wrong time and time again? Well, I think there's two things and, I, and I'm not going to miss an opportunity to drag big ERP, <laughs> but like I got interviewed for an article some time ago and they asked me to play out 50 years and I, I could not let go. I said, if we do not get rid of the ERP, we will never get to any future. Like they, they wanted the flying cars and the, you know, jet packs and whatever else. And <laughs> I was like, look, we have to ditch the ERP. And so this is probably not to the tech providers. This is to the heads of supply chain and CIOs. And I have a chapter in my new book that is, you know, we are living in a post-ERP world. We just haven't accepted it yet. 
And so I really just take aim at, let's just say that audience and really like thump them over the head repeatedly because that's what's holding us back. And this legacy thinking that, that the ERP, that's one. And then the other one is just, well, actually I'll make two points that are related. AI or data is the new oil or all I hear is AI, AI, machine learning, machine learning. Oh, AI. oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Everywhere. Like, and actually as a sub point to this, we'll I'll see if I can keep all this threaded together. The question clients ask me the most is about blockchain. And I just tell them it's nonsense. And they're just the relief just comes over them. So like anybody that has blockchain, I stop listening to them. And then I roll up the newspaper to swat them away. But to go back, so like this, you know, AI, AI, AI nonsense, every startup does this, every tech company does this. First of all, the clients don't understand it. Second of all, certainly the sales reps don't understand it. It's irrelevant. And so like, okay, my assumption is you have all that under the covers. Good, go, go do that. We don't need to know about it, right? Right, exactly. And then the other part is, and I saw this on LinkedIn and I didn't capture it. So, but right now we're getting the big chat GPT, you know, like it's out there everywhere and how's it going to change procurement? Like we're asking the wrong question. This quote was, you're not going to lose your job to chat GPT, you're going to lose your job to the person that figures out how to use it better than you. So hopefully anybody listening to this, if they know where that quote was, please let me know. Because that's really like, it's applying these concepts to what we do. And so we have to improve our literacy and our understanding of this stuff. So the tech companies coming in and just like, you know, wah, 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 it doesn't help. No, on the, the AI point is super interesting, right? Like we have an internal channel where we talk about AI, but we don't talk about it outwardly very often because hardly anyone understands. And I think I listened to something with you and Sarah Scudder, and you were talking about like your very deep machine learning and expertise, your understandings, like the research. And I followed a few of those and just got completely lost, if I'm being honest, yeah. in that. I was like, yeah. oh, this is going to require a dedicated amount of learning to truly understand how this all pulls together, because it's not just one layer. It's, there's like a web of things. And procurement pros, maybe legal pros, contract management pros, they just don't necessarily care about this. They just want to know, how is this going to get me from A to B and do it in the most efficient way possible? So no, that's a, I'm glad that I, I asked that question. Yeah. And so I spend a lot of time in my new book on this question. And to your previous point about I'm always churning on these ideas, like the fact that I just get pummeled by AI, even by my colleagues. And it's just like at a certain point, it's like, does anybody really know what you're talking about? Like, can we just stop? Like, what are we trying to get at? And an understanding because AI is not a magic button. There are no magic buttons in technology. And so we have to really appreciate the nuance. And oh, by the way, all these algorithms are fed by data. Well, guess what you just told me five, not you, but like, I just found out that every organization has terrible data. So don't be talking about AI if we don't, we're not having a conversation about data. We wind up this episode by listening to our last guest, Michelle Vita, Senior Director of Procurement and Strategic Sourcing at Datadog. Michelle is a thought leader who specializes in transformational procurement processes and has over 11 years of experience leading procurement teams. Let's listen to her as she explains how you can leverage data for building agility into your procurement processes and why a collaborative attitude is the cornerstone of agile procurement. 
you mentioned here sort of that that classic procurement persona. Could you maybe break down how you see it? Because I've heard you talk about the classic, more traditional procurement professional and this new professional, sort of the agile jack of all trades professional. Yeah, I think at one point in my career, I was probably leaning more towards a classic procurement professional because that was the environment that I was in. I was working for a construction company and purchasing the same things over and over. So it was kind of like a plug and play, like we were running a seven step process, just same thing every time. I mean, if you're buying construction services, you're redoing, you know, a lobby in a building or you're putting on a new roof on several different buildings throughout the portfolio. It's the same thing over and over. So you're kind of just a little bit myopic. You're running this process and there's really no thought around how can we make this better? How can we make it more efficient? How can we use technology to automate certain parts of the process? Because I just don't think in an environment like that, there's really an appetite for that or really a need because you're not doing anything that intense. Like you're not, there's nothing outside of the box that you're doing. There was never a time that there was a project that it was like, wow, we've never done something like this before. It was just always the same thing over and over. And you know, it's not to say that folks that are working in a classic procurement environment are less than those that are working in agile. I just think that it's two different types of people with two different types of responsibilities. So with agile, I think it's more so one, it's just such a larger scope of things that you need to deal with on the day to day. So like, for example, at my old company, when, you know, we were running like a seven step process, it was very clear what our role was and where we came in in the process. And it was just a very like black and white. And my role now bleeds into so many different areas and we get involved in so many different things that the end-to-end procurement process is much longer and wider than it was in that like classic environment. What I mean by that is that every single thing that needs to be done along the way in order to procure something falls underneath our umbrella. So like Vendor reviews, for example, collaborating with the different teams that need to review these vendors, right? Security, privacy, IT, legal, all of these teams, like we have to collaborate with them on the day to day and look at this overall process and take ownership of that process to make it more efficient for internal stakeholders. You know, and I think there's also a little bit more a strategy element when you're talking about agile procurement because it's less reactive, more proactive. So really leveraging data to understand where you have savings opportunities to really like manipulate data and make decisions based on that, rather than just running this process over and over where you're going out for RFP, you're gathering the bids, you're leveling the pricing, you're doing a round of, you know, RFIs and clarifications, and then ultimately picking a vendor and just contracting them and then passing it off. So, you know, I think that I'm very lucky in that my team is very agile. And again, like it's not to say that a person that was in a classic procurement environment can't make the transition. I did. There's people on my team that had just a different thought process, like always a hunger for making things more efficient, always like wanting to automate things and just not sitting back and being like, okay, well, this is the way it is. Like that is something my team never does. Like they're always raising their hand and being like, I don't like the way this is operating. I want to fix it. So I think that's like, that's a huge part of it too. Is just always that want and need 
to be better and more efficient. Thank you for listening to this episode of Procurement Reimagined. We hope the insights our guests shared delivered value for you and will help you reimagine procurement in your own organizations. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to catch our fortnightly episodes that drop every second Wednesday. Be sure to also click on the Gatekeeper link to learn how our management solution delivers visibility, control, and compliance to our customers. Procurement Reimagined is brought to you by Gatekeeper. To find out more about Gatekeeper and how our vendor and contract lifecycle management solution is delivering visibility, control, and compliance to our customers, visit www.gatekeeperhq.com. And then make sure to search for Procurement Reimagined in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Gatekeeper, thanks for listening.